Welcome everyone to Keystone's worship service online. We're happy that you've chosen to worship with us in this way. Uh, This has become the new normal for us, and uh, I'm hoping that you've been able to find certain ways to be able to prepare for this time together as a family. And that might mean uh, preparing materials ahead of time, printing off sermon notes for yourself or for your kids, um, maybe getting all distractions out of the way, making sure that uh, your phone or your uh, internet is ready to be able to broadcast this onto your TV or wherever you're listening. Um, There are people all over uh, the county and I know even all over the world listening in. And uh, so if you are doing that on the streaming service, we want to say thank you. This is one of the ways that we're able to worship together, uh, even when we're apart. Uh, As I begin uh, to open us up into worship, uh, I invite you to be praying with me uh, that God would use this time for his glory uh, and for our good. So would you pray with me? Father, we love you. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And we ask that this worship service would be uh, a time for you to inspire us and to instruct us that we might live our lives full of delight in the glory of Jesus Christ. So would you do the, the Spirit's work of opening eyes and opening hearts that we might be able to see you as glorious and see all of life through the lens of the good news of the gospel. Lord, guide us now in this next uh, hour or so uh, that we might be able to rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Keystone Church. It's good to get together with you virtually uh, this way on uh, Sunday morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad that uh, you're watching today. Uh, My name is Keith Rohr. I'm the preaching pastor here at Keystone Church in Paradise, Pennsylvania. If you have a Bible handy or your smartphone, uh, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, We've been in an off and on study for really three years in Gospel of Luke, uh, we're calling um, the doctor's cure. Evangelist Greg Laurie tells a story about an art gallery owner who contacted one of his featured artists one day. And he said, Danny, I've got some good news for you, but I also have some bad news. And Danny said, well, let's have the good news first. He said, well, somebody came in yesterday and bought all of your pieces. It was quiet on the other end of the phone for a little. He said, well, I have 27 works at your gallery. You don't mean to tell me he bought all 27, did he? It's exactly what I mean. He said, well, what's that all about? He said, I don't know. The guy came in. He was talking to one of my employees. One of the pieces of the conversation went like this. He said, is it, is it true that artists' work are more valuable? Uh, after they pass away, and my employee said, yeah. He looked around a while, and after a while, he said, I want that, 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 and he got all your pieces, and he paid for them in cash. The guy said, well, that's great. He said, that's that's incredible. I'm going to have to get some work uh, work on some new pieces so I can uh, restock you there. He said, that's right, you said you had some bad news? What was that? He said, well, the guy who purchased your paintings is your doctor. And all of a sudden, the good news wasn't so good as the bad news was bad. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you're facing the worst that you can imagine in your life, what is it that you need the most? 
when the wheels are coming off your life, when all of your best plans and hopes and dreams have been dashed, what is it that you think you need the most? I'm going to argue this morning that you need God more than you need anything else, and you reach him by prayer. That's not a common response to adversity. About a week and a half ago, Governor Cuomo of New York made the comment on CNN, the number, of, uh, the number is down, talking about the number of coronavirus cases in New York State. The number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. That's how it works. Now this, despite the fact that the Bible says every good and perfect gift that comes our way comes from God, James 1.17. It might be true that we need a lot of other resources, can avail ourselves to a lot of other helps in our hour of trouble, but no matter what we, else we need, no matter who else we need, we need God most. And in fact, I've wondered over the years if it might not be that great difficulties are meant to convince us of that. Maybe the season we're in, lockdown, shutdown, pandemic, virus, no schools, no jobs. Maybe part of what God's communicating in these days is that. The Danish philosopher and Christian Søren Kierkegaard in the middle of the 19th century said, God can only be met by way of despair. God can only be met by way of despair. Luke 22 is our text this morning, beginning of verse 39. <clears throat> and this is the account of what took place just before Jesus was arrested. He's in, the, he's in a garden outside of Jerusalem with his men. <clears throat> and then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room. This is where they were having Passover meal and, and the first communion. And went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, Please take this cup of suffering away from me. And yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Let's ask God for his help. Father, you have created us from dust of the earth. And you know our frailty, you know our weaknesses, you know that we are, like the scripture writers say, like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. But in that day's time, many, many things happen to us, around us. We watch 
Good things come and good things go. We watch bad things come and bad things go. Our lives are checkered by both great joy and great sorrow. And the world would tell us that what we need most is this or that or the other thing. Is this person, that person, another person? We need a good friend, we need an attorney, we need a banker, we need a counselor, we need money, we need love. And sometimes we can't rebound because we have mistakenly assumed that we need this or that or this person or that person most and fail to see we need you most. And our enemy loves to see us cling to inferior hopes, some sort of alternative God, place to trust. I pray this morning that through our Savior's example, we might see what he knew all along was most important. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at a contrast in this, these few verses this morning between the disciples who failed to pray and our Savior who desperately knew he needed to pray. Failing to pray, the disciples failed their test. Failing to pray, the disciples failed their test. Jesus took them aside and he instructed them to pray. They were instructed to pray. And pray for what? This is a uh, passage that over the years, I, I grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian home, had read this story of Jesus in the garden so many times and thought I knew what they were to pray for when Jesus deposited a group of eight here, his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John here, and then he went over here by himself to pray. And he kept coming back and finding them asleep. I assumed that Jesus was telling them to pray that they wouldn't fall asleep. Jesus says, you're to pray so that you will not give into or literally not enter into temptation. Verse 40. Now, what was the temptation? Was it, as I thought for so many years, to sleep? Something else, what, what was it? Matthew 26, and you might want to put your finger in that chapter because we're going to look back at that a number of times. It's a parallel account to what we're reading here. And Jesus said in verse 31, Matthew 26, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, and then he harks back to a prophecy that Zechariah had made hundreds of years earlier. Scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Who was he talking about? He was talking about himself because he is warning them, tonight you will desert me. God's going to strike me, the shepherd, and the sheep, that'd be you, will all be scattered. In other words, the temptation that they were to pray against was that they would not fail Jesus tonight. They would not fail to support him they would not fail to pray for him. They would not fail to pray for themselves. And yet that is exactly 
what is going to happen. They were instructed to pray, but they were unconvinced that they needed to pray. After all, hadn't they bragged at the meal that evening? We're willing to go to prison with you, Jesus. In fact, if it comes to more than that, we're even willing to die with you. If that's what it takes, you can count on us. We will not let you down. This confidence they had in and of themselves or in themselves meant they didn't see the need to pray. They were unconvinced that they needed to. If you're going down a long hill in your car your truck, and you don't know at the bottom of the hill or partway down the mountain, there's a hairpin curve. You might just let gravity, let your speed pick up more and more and more until you're going 55, 65, even 70 mile an hour. When I was a boy, I um, used to go to Camp Hebron every year for a week, starting about 12 years old, I guess. And on the north side of Peters Mountain, north of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, it's a long, long incline. And if you've never driven that before, you don't know that at the bottom of the hill or near the bottom of the hill, there's a sharp hairpin curve. Or if you're going down there and you look down at your phone, at the moment you flash by a sign that tells you the hairpin, there's a hairpin turn coming, you could be going 70 mile an hour when you get to that turn and you'll never make it going at that speed. The problem is, if you don't know what danger lies ahead, you're not going to make the necessary accommodations. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 39, he's talking about a man who gets robbed of his home, and he says, if he knew at what hour the thief was going to come, he would not have left his house to be broken into. In other words, he'd have been well prepared the disciples were not well prepared for the temptation they were about to face, but they thought they were. And because they thought they were, they weren't all that concerned to pray. Sleep took over. Sleep was more important. And of course, when the final test came, again, back in Matthew 26, verse, end of verse 56, at that point, after Jesus was arrested, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Judas had gone off earlier in the evening to betray Jesus, to sell him out. Jesus had pulled Peter aside to warn him that he was going to deny him three times, that he even knew him that night. And yet when the threat of true imprisonment or possibility of death faced them, the claims that these men had had and the assurances they gave Jesus didn't come to pass. They all fled. They all ran away and left him alone. He unbounds the great writer on prayer, wrote this, little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. And I wonder if you would say that you live as if disaster is right around the corner. I think as parents, we try to teach our children when they're growing up to be optimists and not to see the glass half empty, but to see it half full. We believe that we're doing them a, a service because who wants a sad person uh, always uh, seeing the worst things in life? But the law of unintended consequences might come into play there. 
Because if, if our children grow up believing that everything is going to be rainbows and roses, how will they prepare themselves spiritually for what might well lie around the corner that it's not going to be rainbow and roses? I think it was Rick Warren that said, we are either in a season of suffering or we've just come out of suffering or we are about to go into suffering. That's kind of the human condition thanks to the broken world in which we live and the broken people that we are. We're either in the midst of difficult times or we've just come out of them or we are about to go in them. And if we have that kind of attitude, doesn't mean that we need to be pessimistic, but spiritually we might be far better prepared, far better equipped, and far better um, at, at the mindset that we need to continually be equipped to face those things. Maybe if we thought that trouble was right around the corner, it would change our prayer lives. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? Matthew 11, 4, and he, the Lord, what we typically call the Lord's Prayer, to pray to God that he would not let us yield to temptation. Because the disciples failed to pray, they failed their test. Polar opposite for Jesus. Praying, Jesus passed his test. Praying, Jesus passed his test. He had a sense that he had to pray. He was running to his father in this great moment of need. He had to pray because he knew that prayer was his only option. And think about that for a minute. He knew that prayer was his only option. He knew that his father was his only option because of uh, what he was being asked to do. I've wondered already, when we look at the church around the world, and we often see it has a far better track record than we Americans do when it comes to prayer. I've often wondered if that's not because we have so many options as Americans. You know, a Christian brother or sister in Uganda might be 15 miles or 50 miles from the nearest medical clinic. And so if a child comes down with some sort of sickness, they may never, never get to the medical clinic in time. They need God to come through for them now. If one of my Christian brothers or sisters in a place like rural parts of Pakistan runs out of food, maybe because of the coronavirus, they're shut down and they're not allowed to work and they don't have any bank account to turn to. They don't have a friend who has money. If God doesn't come through for them with food, they're not going to eat. But in America, we have so many different options. Jesus had no other option but prayer and that what he was facing that night. It was his only option. He was about to face the worst challenge anyone has ever faced or anyone ever will. And he couldn't do it alone couldn't do it alone because he was scared. Let, let that sink into your soul a minute. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who had always existed, had been with the Father when he created the world, and he created everything with the Father, according to John chapter 1, was scared. 
you might say, eh, I'm, I'm not sure he was scared. Well, what does he say in Matthew 26, verse 38? He asked his friends as, he, as he's uh, positioning them to pray with him, verse 38, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That might be said in a way that doesn't really drive home the point to you because Jesus was speaking in vernacular that would have been well understood 2,000 years ago better than today. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I am, I am so racked with fear and anxiety and worry and concern that I think I might die. Jesus was scared. And the gospel was on the line. And the only one who could carry it out to completion was wavering. You think he didn't need his father that night? And he's praying in verse 42. I know we agreed on this. He's praying to his father. I know we agreed on this mission before I left. But... About this suffering, both the physical and the spiritual, as I bear the sins of the world about this, could we possibly come up with some other plan? Or do you have a plan B in your back pocket? But I want to do what your will is. At the end of the day, I really want to be able to do your will. And Jesus didn't just pray this once. In fact, Matthew tells us that he came back and checked on his disciples one time after he had been praying for a while. They were asleep. He urged them to get awake and pray. He went back and he prayed again. Came back, found them asleep again. He went back and prayed. And Matthew says that he went back the third time and prayed these same things again, just like you do. When you're in a quandary, when you're, you know, when it's not a big deal, you might pray for something once and go on your merry way. I might pray for it one time, forget about it. It's not that big, big of a deal. Maybe it's for, I'm praying for something for somebody else and it doesn't hit me personally like it does them. Or maybe it's, it's not that important to me. I pray once and I'm on my way about it. But you know, when you are facing the worst, when you are the thick of horrific prospects ahead of you, or you're in the middle of a trial that you don't know that you're going to get out of, you pray again and again and again. Not because you think, as Jesus said, we don't pray over and over, because we think that God, we will persuade God in some fashion by praying repeatedly. But you pray because you need this. You need God. You, you need Him. You need his help, and it's all you can think to do to receive the help that you need. Just keep going back to God again and again and again, praying. And one of my favorite lines in this story is in verse 43. Jesus praying unleashed an angel to help. His praying unleashed an angel to help. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And this is not the first time we see this happening to Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus had been out in the wilderness for a month and a half with no help, no hope, nobody around him except Satan, who's testing him. And for that month and a half, Jesus has been fasting to prepare himself for this test with his greatest adversary in the universe. After the test was over, Satan had lost, Jesus had won. It says, and angels came and took care of Jesus. They strengthened him, they ministered to him, they helped him with his needs. Wouldn't you love to have angels come to your rescue? You might think because Jesus is and was the Son of God, he had special access to these angels. Something that we don't really have, and after all, you've never seen an angel. I assume most of us would say that. And yet angels aren't just for ministering to the Son of God. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, angels are only servants, these are supernatural beings that God has created for his use, for his service to minister. Angels are only servants, spirits, sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. In other words, their purpose was designed ultimately to serve God, and they serve God especially in ministering to his servants, human beings who have trusted Christ. Now you might say that you've never seen one. I say, I've never seen one. And therefore, we might conclude they don't even exist. But listen to this. Hebrews again, chapter 13, verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitalities to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. <laughs> you might have met one and not known it. You might have had someone who has come to your aid and you thought it was a man or a woman or even a child and you didn't know who they were. You'd never met them before and you've never seen them since. Perhaps. And Jesus needed strengthening that night. Not only was Jesus feeling he had to pray, it hurt to pray. After the angel had gone, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. It, it hurt to pray this night. You say, why, why? Because you know what it's like to be in a position where you don't know if you can make it. You don't know if you're going to survive this time of difficulty. You don't know if you're going to be able to take care of your family. You don't know if you're going to be able to survive emotionally what you're going through. You don't know if there is a tomorrow for you. It might all end today. And the agony that is the result of crying out to God in those moments. Now, part of what takes place in those agonizing prayers is not just seeking what you want, but is having God get you to a place 
that you want what God wants. That your will and your desire and God's will and God's desires move to, to where you are aligned one with the other. And that's what Jesus was after that night. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we would have that same heart when we pray. God, this is what I'm feeling and this is what I'm afraid of and this is what I really want. But oh, I really ultimately want in, my, in the deepest part of my being, I really want what you want. I crave what you want. You know, sometimes we feel like when we pray, God has not heard our prayers, he has not answered our prayers, because we didn't get what we wanted. And yet the portrayal of Jesus, when he was crying out to God for what he wanted, is that the Father heard, heard him and answered him by virtue of the fact that Jesus ultimately didn't get his initial desires answered, but he got his ultimate desire to answer desires answered, meaning he wished that he could have an out. He wished that he didn't have to experience the horrific physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering that he was about to encounter. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings. Now, if you'd stop right there, you might think that the writer is simply talking about the scope of Jesus' entire life while he was here on earth. So Jesus would pray, Jesus would pray, Jesus, all across these 33 and a half years of his earthly life. But then he goes on to say, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him. From death. Ah, now we're talking about some explicit, specific prayers that Jesus prayed at a specific time. The ones he prayed before he was about to go to his death. And God heard these prayers because of his deep reverence, Jesus' deep reverence for God. He heard these prayers. And he goes on to say that even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In other words, Jesus prayed for so that somehow he could avoid the cross. And yet even in that prayer, he is saying, but ultimately I want your will, God. God heard his prayer. The father heard his son's prayers. And he answered the son's prayers but he answered them ultimately by getting his son in alignment with his own desires, with his own will. Because after all, the Father's will is perfect. Our will is always flawed. Our will is always has mixtures, uh, a mixture of righteous, good, God-glorifying things to desire and our own self-serving purposes. It hurt Jesus to pray like this. But ultimately it helped him to pray. He got to the point where he was agreeable to God's will and he did exactly what God had sent him to do. He went to the cross that wicked, evil day 
and accomplished all that he could accomplish as our great high priest. There were no more any sheep to be offered, any goats or any bulls to be offered to God. Sins didn't need to be covered over, waiting some future day to be ultimately paid for. Sins were paid for by his blood once for all. The Gentiles, and that's me and probably many of you, people who are not Jewish, don't have Jewish blood, Gentiles could be saved. You could be made right with God. No longer an enemy of God. You could become a child of God. You could receive eternal life. All of this because on that fateful night, Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed until he came into alignment with his Father's will and became obedient even to the death on the cross. As I was uh, working on this sermon, I, I felt at times so reluctant to make Jesus' preparation for fulfilling his gospel mission about prayer. It, it seemed to trivialize it. And I came to this conclusion, though, or at least this question. Or is that one of our problems? That prayer itself has become a trivial thing for us. Little more than a formality before meals and in church meetings. And that as a result of seeing it as not as something like Jesus saw, but seeing it as a ceremonial thing, as a ritual, we have lost the understanding that Jesus had that in prayer is where our deepest needs are met by the most important resource, our Heavenly Father. And so that the answer to questions like these, what do I need most when I'm facing divorce, might not be the best marriage counselor I can find, or later, an even better divorce attorney. So that the answer to the question of what do I need most when someone I love deeply passes away is not the grief counselor or a good friend to cry on their shoulder. These people might help me, but what I need most, the answer might be different. If I'm out of work like 26 million other Americans, what do I need most? It may not be a job. It may not be a check that someone gives me. It may not be food at the food bank. It may not even be the stimulus check the government sends me. The answer to what do I need most when I'm told by someone I'm not good enough, I don't make the cut, I don't get the job, I don't get the spot on the team, I, I don't get the girl. may not be that I end up getting the job, that I end up getting the spot on the team or I get the girl. In every case where we have faced something that feels like the worst, at least at the moment, 
What we need most is sometimes forgotten until all other resources have been tried and exhausted. And our Father tells us, you needed me most all along. I'm glad to finally see you now. But you needed me most all along. My son could teach you that. Father, we, I think, especially as Americans, we have so much. We enjoy so many options for whatever need we have at the moment. And we've become reliant and dependent upon them. And I wonder even if there's not a silver lining in this strange state of affairs that we find ourselves in with the coronas, uh, coronavirus um, and all of the steps that have been taken to try to eradicate it. No schools, no jobs, no family get-togethers, no church services. No friends coming over to play cards. Perhaps an opportunity for us to be re-reminded of what we need most. To be re-reminded that we don't have all of the capabilities that we think we have. That there is only one God. There's only one maker of the universe. There's only one administrator of the universe. There's only one giver of life and taker of life. There's only one who can save and there's only one who can ultimately destroy. And I pray that that lesson would not only be drilled down into our hearts for ourselves but for the world in which you've placed us. This world that you've loved so much that you sent Jesus to fill that mission that he wrestled so deeply with on that fateful night. So that when we have again the opportunity to be with people that we might not forget lessons that were learned along the way these weeks and months. We love you. And we're so grateful for your son's obedience that night. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. There are a handful of ways that you can take some action steps. Uh, the first one, Keystone wants to be able to help. And so whether you are uh, far away or near to us, uh, we would love for you to be able to reach out and let us know if there's any way that we can take care of you. Uh, our compassion ministry is ready uh, to serve in a variety of different ways. And so we'd encourage you to head to keystonechurch.org compassion uh, to let us know uh, if you have any financial needs, any emotional needs, any spiritual needs. We would love to be able to help in some way. And if you have uh, resources that you would love to be able to help, whether that's time uh, or effort or just you want to be a part of this team uh, that is helping to serve our community and our church, uh, you can go to the same link, keystonechurch.org compassion and say, I want to help. I want to extend a thank you for those of you who've been able to give uh, and partner with us by uh, 
generously serving uh, the Lord in this way. For those of you who've given online or through the Church Center app, thank you very much. You can continue to do so uh, at keystonechurch.org slash give. Uh, and you can be a part of the team that is helping to resource disciple makers within our body as well as uh, in the world at large. And so you can go to that website uh, to give a one-time gift or a repeating gift. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, looking forward to being able to see you next time.